Coming up on Word Matters, are dictionaries supposed to enter the words no one's ever heard of, or only the words everyone already knows? I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Would you buy a dictionary if it only contained words you already knew? Or do you like being confronted in your dictionary, as we ourselves are, by lexical strangers unheard of in daily life? Ammon's been looking at what sorts of words Merriam-Webster has historically used to entice dictionary readers into buying a new edition. There are some surprises. In a recent episode, we spent some time talking about a batch of new words, fresh words, that we just added to the dictionary. Some of these are new words, some of these are old words that we're just now adding, but it's a, an update. And there were a number of words which some people loved or didn't know about. Somebody had a kind of interesting reaction that was a writer named Maura Homan wrote a piece online, the title of which is True Life, I'm a Millennial, and I don't know most of the new words Merriam-Webster just added. And the subhead is 30-somethings have aged out of using a dictionary, apparently. And she goes on to give maybe a half dozen or so examples, five or six examples of words that we added with which she is presumably unfamiliar, such as Terraflop, Deep Platform, Blue Black, Zero Day, Blank Check Company. And I think this raises an interesting question, which is, should you know the words that are in a dictionary? Should you not know the words that are in a dictionary? Is this relevant? And it's interesting to me because... Peter, we've spoken about this before in terms of the words that trend in lookups. It's not obvious why people go to a dictionary to look up words all the time. Sometimes it's because they don't know what the word means. Sometimes it's because they do know what the word means. And sometimes it's for some other reason. Have you seen this reaction from people before where they say, why are you printing these words? I don't know what they mean. Oh, sure. We've seen this. In a slightly different context, I've seen a parallel phenomenon with our word of the day, which is an email and a podcast. And I used to see the letters that came in, and they were exactly half split between letters that complained that the words that were chosen as word of the day were too basic and simple and really didn't teach anything new to the reader. And then the other half of letters said, well, why are the words you're choosing as word of the day so abstract and abstruse and difficult that I'll never have the chance to use them? I always figured we must be doing it just about right if we got both of those kinds of responses. Yeah, and I think that is true with new words in general also. There are some people who are expecting that we're going to put the newest, freshest, most exciting words in and that they want these to be words that are new to them because then they feel like we're doing our job. And then other people feel like, oh, well, I know some of these words. So what are you even doing, Merriam-Webster? I'm a little confused by the argument that the dictionary should primarily be made up of words with which you are familiar. That seems like it's kind of <laughs> goes against our raison d'etre there. Again, that's not the only purpose to which people put dictionaries to find unfamiliar words. People use us for, for finding the etymology of a word, the origin. They find out for spelling, pronunciation, capitalization, all kinds of things like that. But one of the real main points of the dictionary, I believe, it's not going out on a limb to say this, is that we provide definitions for words which may be unfamiliar. 
Well, and that harks back to the very earliest monolingual English dictionaries, which were dictionaries of hard words. Mm-hmm. Inkhorn terms. Inkhorn meaning the hard words, mostly from learned discourse, mostly from Greek and Latin roots. That is an interesting point because it goes back to Robert Caudry's A Table Alphabetical in 1604, generally thought of as the first monolingual English dictionary. So this is just over 400 years ago. And it was kind of an inkhorn dictionary. But one of the things that's interesting about Caudry's work is that he described it as defining all the hard usual words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, they are important, but they're not entirely obscure. They're kind of, I think, the hard words that you might come across in everyday life. So utility was uh, still at the root of the dictionary. I think that yeah. was his intention, yeah. You want this book because you want to improve your own ability to interact with the better educated. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of made me think this admonition that the dictionary is doing words that I don't know, defining words that I'm unfamiliar with. It made me wonder, well, what other new words in our own advertising? What words have we presented as being new? And at least for the first half of the 20th century, Merriam-Webster, when we advertised a new dictionary, we would very often use this as a selling point. Kind of the words you need to know are the words which might be of interest to you. The earliest one I've seen is 1917 in an advertisement every day in your talk and reading at home on the streetcar in the office, shop, and school. You likely question the meaning of some new word. And one of the examples they give is, what is white coal? Which apparently was a hot new word in 1917. Ammon, what is it? I don't know. One of the definitions is electricity. In 1917, maybe that makes sense? I'm going with tasmanite because I like the look of that Yeah, tasmanite is the other definition. A compound of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and sulfur in minute reddish-brown scales in shale. This is why I kind of find the premise of this questionable, is that for a number of decades, I've been working in and around lexicography. I've read many, many dictionaries as a professional hazard, kind of, Mm -hmm. and, and for fun. And I basically spend all my time looking for words and looking at words in the dictionary. And most of these words, I have no idea what they mean. So I think the conceit that one would know all the words in a dictionary is surprising. And looking back again at some of the words that we've publicized in 1921, our ad actually said words of recent interest. You get to see an idea of what was going on. It was Anzac, Ace, Bertha, Blighty, Bosch, Bolsheviki, Camouflage, Lewis Gunn, Liberty Bond, Sammy, Soviet Tank, and War Bride. This is all World War One and Soviet Revolution, right? This was 1921. So this is the immediate aftermath. And camouflage didn't come up for the first time. I mean, we dated it earlier than that, but it entered into widespread use. I did words like Anzac, Bertha, and the Bolsheviki, as obviously <laughs> Bolshevik comes from the Russian Revolution. In 1924, our ads said that our dictionary contained such modern terms as audio frequency, paravein, mud gun, vitamin, iridenta, and sterol, most of which I have to say are entirely unclear to me. Vitamin is going strong. Vitamin is still doing fine. Iridenta has not really had such a Mm. successful run of it. By 1931, 1930, we still were advertising audio frequency as a big word, but eugenism, hooverize, which is a, a lovely word based on our former president, President Hoover, who was in charge of food distribution at one point, and he was said to be overly stingy with this. And so Hooverize was to be stingy in the distribution of food, I believe. Broadcast was a new word, which is interesting because broadcast is actually not a new word. It goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. The original meaning referred to a method of sowing seed. Mm -hmm. You would just cast it broadly, had a very literal meaning. 
But obviously in 1930, it's taken on a radio sense. Altimeter was another one, Sirtax, Freud, and Hokum. These were the hot words of 1930. Each subsequent decade, you see 1950, we have antibiotic, bazooka, bellatron, canasta, flying saucer, Geiger counter, and of course, genocide. We're seeing the, the history of the 20th century writ in the press releases. I have a print ad from The Atlantic magazine, February 1938. There's a, a whole column ad from Merriam-Webster, and there's a little photograph of a couple sort of looking at each other, maybe at a kitchen table. And there's a quotation bubble from the lady, and it says, just what does this word fascist mean? And then there's an answer. Henry says... It comes from fasces, a bundle of rods and an axe that you see on this dime. Our new Merriam-Webster gives an interesting story about fasces. 1938, needless to say, fascism, fascist, a very significant term. The advertising was sort of based upon the premise that people didn't know what it meant. That's interesting. I have to say that if your dictionary does contain entirely words that you are familiar with, either you are very, very smart or you have not such a good dictionary, I think it's <laughs> safe to say. But it's also interesting looking back over the history of words that are presented as of moment because it illustrates how difficult it is to really prognosticate about a word's success. It was an interesting article we wrote in 1940 about new words. And one of the words that we were considering at the time was Google, G-O-O-G-O-O-L. Of course, it's taken off. And the other one we were really considering <laughs> at the time was Smilch, S-M-I-L-C-H, which was a playful form of filching something, stealing lighthearted theft, like smilching cookies or something. Oh, that's And that nice. one didn't have the same success as Google, I think it's safe to say. Well, we should, for people who don't know the G-O-O-G-O-L <laughs> use of the word Google. It's the figure one followed by 100 zeros equal to 10 to the hundredth power. It's a ginormous number. It was named by Milton Sirota, who was the nephew of the American mathematician Ed Kasner. So it's one of the few words for which we are fairly certain of its provenance and who originated it. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. Coming up, more on the new words we've historically touted. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, 
visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. In part two of today's episode, we continue the exploration of the various new words Merriam-Webster has announced at the release of a new edition of its dictionaries. And we look at which of those new words have held on and which have been mostly forgotten. The language blogger Jonathan Owen has a blog called Arrant Pedantry, and he commented on this same essay, and he's got a nice sentence that says, a dictionary that contained only the words you already know wouldn't be a very useful dictionary, would it? And so that kind of puts it in a very succinct package. But Ammon, you began this conversation with a reflection on what makes a person look up a word. And that's something that we know more about now than we used to because of the dictionary being online. And it's absolutely true that many people do assume that looking up a word is automatically a sign that you do not know the word, that you have no knowledge whatsoever. I know for me, and I'm probably not a typical user because I must look up 100 words a day. But I know for me, many of those words are words I'm very familiar with. I'm looking up for nuance or for history or for etymology or for stress or phonetics. However, we now know that very frequently people are looking words up that they are familiar with, but maybe have encountered in an unusual situation, especially if it suddenly seems important in a legal or technical or medical way. And so you're confirming something that you already know, and that's what a dictionary does too. And I think there's not enough recognition on the part of the public In other words, it is a little bit of a simplification to think that you would only look up words that you don't know in the dictionary or, equally, that you should only have words in the dictionary that you have encountered before. To me, they kind of cancel each other out. Neither of these ideas are correct. Right. I routinely, multiple times throughout the day, I look up words that I am absolutely certain of the meaning of. And the reason I do it is because I don't want to look like a dumbass when I'm wrong. (laughs) And I'm wrong all the time. I've learned through experience that no matter how certain I am of the meaning of a word, there's a decent enough chance that I am, in fact, entirely mistaken that I should just double check. It takes a minute, I look it up, and I save myself some small measure of potential embarrassment. If there was some other way that I could save myself that measure of potential embarrassment in other aspects of my life, I would really love it. It's such a useful tool, but it only extends itself to my use of words. It's a useful tool. I mean, that's the bottom line is it's a utility in that sense. And that is one of the best things about the dictionary, the comfort of knowing. Blame somebody else if it turns (laughs) out that it's wrong. The accumulated knowledge that's in there and it's, it's waiting for you. I do think that sometimes people use a dictionary because they want to tell us that we are wrong because they do that also. Clearly, an important use of the dictionary is to tell someone else that they're wrong. Yes. To correct another person. That should be our new ad campaign for when you need to tell someone else they're wrong. (laughs) Merriam-Webster's got your back. We might tell you, actually, that you are wrong. When someone's wrong, (laughs) Merriam-Webster's there. Emma, I knew you were doing this research into some of the words that had been publicized in the past, which I have not known these things, and I love it. I looked back into my files and found the list of words that we compiled when the 11th Collegiate Dictionary was produced, and... It's funny to see some of the words. This came out in 2003, and PDA was new, Mm -hmm. a personal digital assistant. Nobody has a PDA anymore. Also, palm top, a small portable computer easily held in the palm of the hand. We call that a phone. Instead of a laptop. (laughs) Right. I'm just going to call my phone a palm top from now on. (laughs) Are there ones that you're surprised to see in there from 20 years ago? I'm looking right now at the ones that relate to technology and the term scanner. 
was mm-hmm. new, a device uh-huh. that scans an image, such as a photograph or a document, such as a page of text, especially for use or storage on a computer. Are there any in there that are really successful, that have really made it big? Scanner, well, scanner certainly, yeah. Scanner definitely yeah. has a port, the computer port, and router. Routers were new. A device that wow. mediates the transmission routes of data packets over an electronic communication system as the internet. As the internet. We now say such as, and I believe that in the Merriam-Webster.com dictionary, all of those parenthetical as have been replaced with such as, unless they are adverbial, in which case we continue to just have the as. This was a space-saving tactic that was necessary when we were constrained by the need to produce a book that was portable and affordable. I remember the author tour for this edition for 2003, and I flew around the country and went on TV at 5 a.m. in a bunch of places, but also gave like book talks at universities and things. It was a great experience. We certainly would have limited the words we talked about to probably just a handful, and so some of these are new to me. Do people complain about these words in terms of the old, often heard complaint of the language is deteriorating and young people are ruining it? Are these words sufficiently solidified in use enough that we've just decided to accept them? It's not infrequently that people are complaining that a slang word has gotten in. I'm sure there are some people who are unhappy about, am I right? Sure, always. Nobody said a thing when we entered maltodextrin. But I bet in 1921, somebody was complaining about blighty. Seems likely. In 2003, when the 11th Collegiate Dictionary came out, There was some wringing of hands over the fact that we had entered the word fat, P-H-A-T. Oh, right. We Uh, made a lot of marketing copy out of that. In fact, we had photographs of the citation cards, the little index cards, with examples of use of the word fat. I do remember that one. And this is obviously not a new thing. The oft-told story of of Webster's Third New International Dictionary that we published in 1961 was that there were innumerable articles written about how terrible it was that we had entered the word ain't, which, of course, had been in the dictionary for decades at that point. It wasn't (laughs) new at all. So my guess is that as long as there are new words, there will be people complaining about them. Yes. There will always be in England, there will always be a complaint. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Ammon Shea and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.